Yeah, there we go. Perfect. Okay. Um, when Matt sent out an email for chances to talk about virtues and vices, I saw the spot for sloth, and I thought, that's my favorite vice. I have to do sloth. Slash Akedia, and I'll explain a little more about that uh, when we get into this some more. And I talked a little bit about Akedia when I talked about Evagrius last year. And I said back then, this is my favorite of all the vices. I don't know if you're allowed to have favorites, but if I had to choose, this would, this would be it. So there's actually been a growing interest in what the Egyptian Greek monks would call Akedia what was translated in the Western tradition as sloth. So you'll hear me speak mostly about akedia, mostly because I want us to forget what we normally think of when we think about sloth. The concept has grown and changed, and I think using a different word will help us reorient our uh, focus, our concentration, and we can look at it in a different light. Here are just some examples of some books um, that are coming out. And not everyone interested in Akedia is a Christian or interested in the history of monasticism or virtues or vices. There's actually secular psychologists who have become interested in what these monks were talking about when they're talking about Akedia. Two of them that I find the most interesting is this book by Kathleen Norris, Akedia and Me. It's actually a fantastic book, very accessible. So if you're interested in more after I finish talking about that, she just relates kind of looking back on her life and seeing Akedia present and how uh, she uh, tried to overcome it. Um, the second one, which I used a lot for this presentation, is The Noonday Devil. And uh, so that's also helpful if you're interested in it some more. What is sloth? Right, not everyone can see. I'm standing. Right? When we think of sloth, what is it that we think of? What's the first word that comes to our mind? Laziness. laziness right? Slothful are lazy. Why is laziness a vice? I mean, it's a vice, right? Obviously. Why? Okay. It's maybe wasteful. The verse that always I hear always come up is this one in Second Thessalonians. Does anyone know where I'm going? No? Okay. That's right. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Right? Laziness is a vice. Here's a good verse for it. What's the opposite of laziness? Industry. Industry. What's, what's the phrase we hear a lot? There's one phrase. Oh, a Protestant work ethic, which is... <laughs> sometimes I hear that phrase. Um, but the, what encapsulates that, I think, is hard work, right? You work hard. You pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You're not lazy. You're not dependent on it. You work hard. Why is that a virtue? 
Or am I allowed to ask that question? Is it? Okay, that's good. At what point does work become hard and or lazy? I mean, what, at what point does it, can you define your amount of work as being hard work and not laziness? I spent some time in Tennessee working at a camp in which we started late and ended early. Like, I mean, I was ready to go early in the morning. Come on, let's go being from the north like I am, sit down. All right, what's our assignment? Want something to drink? I'll get you something to drink. Yep. (laughs) Okay. But I thought they were being lazy and not working hard. I think hard work is kind of like the concept of um, baldness which my wife thinks I am going slowly bald. Right? How many hairs do you have to lose before you become bald? One? No, not one. Two? Three? It's hard to pinpoint at which point you've lost enough hairs to actually count as being bald. But we know it when we see it, right? What about someone who's what we classify as a workaholic? Is their hard work virtuous? If they, if they work to the neglect of their family? Well, suddenly, it's hard to say that that's actually being virtuous. The normal verse that we think of, of course, I have an ant here because Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise without having any chief Officer, ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Laziness, hard work. Is that what sloth, akedia, is about? And what I want to do is to challenge the idea for you today that sloth is about being lazy and that in order to be virtuous, we need to Work hard. Those are symptoms of an underlying problem. Laziness isn't the problem. There's something else going on deeper inside. So let's turn back the pages to my favorite guy, Evagrius. Fourth century monk, later kind of condemned as a heretic, but he has a lot of good stuff (laughs) to say. Minor, minor detail. Evagrius actually, like I said last year, is very influential for the monastic tradition, and what he identifies Akedia as gets translated by a guy, guy named John Cashin, who his work gets picked up by Benedict, and then through Benedict and Gregory and the Great, you go from eight evil thoughts to seven deadly sins, and it gets translated along the way into the West as sloth instead of Akedia. There's the historical background. Evagrius thought Akedia is a lack of care given to one's spiritual life, a lack of concern for one's salvation. 
Arcadia isn't about not being industrious. It's a lack of concern for one's own spiritual life, which then may manifest itself in a lack of concern for your other responsibilities. He says, Akedia is a relaxation of the soul, and a relaxation of the soul which is not in accord with nature does not resist temptations nobly. When you start to kind of power down, temptations come, and you just kind of don't care anymore. That's what he sees Akedia as. But not only that, in a passage, kind of a long passage, it's going to take three slides to read through this, but it's a really good passage to illustrate what he sees Akedia as. He says, The demon of Akedia, also called the noonday demon, is the most oppressive of all demons. I should pause. For, for Evagrius, virtues and vices is not, are not separated from demonic activity. Right, we, we like to think about virtues and vices just being kind of something internal only within us in this kind of sphere. But for Evagrius, there is something else going on that's contributing to that. Something internal, yes, but demonic activity as well. This demon attacks the monk about the fourth hour, 10 a.m., and besieges the soul until the eighth hour, 2 p.m., which is why it's called the noonday demon. First of all, he makes it appear that the sun moves slowly, if not at all, and that the day seems to be 50 hours long. <laughs> then he compels the monk to look constantly towards the windows, to jump out of his cell, to watch the sun, to see how far it is from the ninth hour, to look this way and that. Hmm. Translate that, constantly checking your watch. What time is it? Or your phone. Is it, time? Is it done yet? Is it? No, no. For students, as you're writing your paper, working on your paper, it's like, only five minutes? Ah. And further, he instills in him a dislike for the place and for his state of life itself, for manual labor, and also the idea that love has disappeared from him among the brothers, and there is no one to console him. And should there be someone during those days who has offended the monk, this too the demon uses to add further to his dislike of that place. He leads him on to the desire for other places where he can easily find the wherewithal to meet his needs and pursue a trade that is easier and more productive. So it's not just laziness, because the Vagris is saying this demonic temptation also includes productivity, but away from where you are at right now. This church. He's, they're not good, right? Like, oh, no one cares about really spiritual things, you know, right? That other church over there, let me tell you what, if I go there, I can be involved and I can do all these things for the Lord, but I'm just being oppressed here where I'm at. I have to get away. I have to go to another church. And then six months later, to another church, and then another church, and the great transmigration of the saints hopping <laughs> from church to church. 
Evagrius continues, he adds that pleasing the Lord is not a question of being in a particular place, for Scripture says, Scripture, he can justify it with Scripture, says that the divinity can be worshipped everywhere. I don't have to be right here. He joins to these suggestions the memory of his close relations and of his former life. He depicts for him the long course of his lifetime while bringing the burdens of asceticism before his eyes. And as as the saying has it, he deploys every device in order to have the monk leave the cell and flee the stadium. Stadium being where you fight. The cell is the monk's stadium. No other demon follows immediately after this one. A state of peace and ineffable joy ensues in the soul after this struggle. If you resist against this temptation, you have a sense of joy, ineffable joy. So does that help kind of fill out the picture so far? This is not just about not doing work. It's about distracting yourself from your own responsibilities, where you are. You could be industrious and still be slothful if you are ignoring your responsibilities that you have where you are. This is why I think we, get, we all get the sense that someone who's a workaholic isn't being virtuous just because they're working hard. But they're ignoring other responsibilities as well. The concept, of course, didn't stop with Evagrius. Um, I have to talk about Aquinas, of course. Aquinas, I picked a flattering picture for him there. Um, sloth, Akedia, he thinks is twofold. The first is actually a sadness about God. Akedia causes sadness, a negative reaction to what ought to be our greatest happiness, participation in the life of God. So on the first hand, Akedia isn't just about our external relations. It's about our primary relationship with God. And the thing that should bring us the greatest joy in all the world We have no joy for it. There's a sadness about it. The second off of this is disgust with activity. Here we see kind of how that concept develops then into um, a lack of hard work. Akedia for Aquinas crushes and paralyzes activity because then it affects the deepest motive force of activity, namely charity. Love, the participation of the Holy Spirit. Akedia, sloth, is about a lack of love. Now, at this point, I want to remind us something that took me a very long time to learn. Actually, I think I first caught on to it when we first came here, like three years ago, in a sermon Father Martin gave. It took three years for me to get it, so... Preachers, if you ever preach, you know, think of the long game. It might, get, it might sink in eventually. Growing up, I always tried to do the right things. As a Christian, you do the right things. You, you pray. You read your Bible. You try to evangelize your friends. You obey your parents, 
sometimes. You try to be a good Christian. And the goal was always to be a good Christian because... You're supposed to be a good Christian, right? Like that's, that's the goal. We, we have to be holy. That's true. But I think what goes beyond that is when we cultivate virtue and weed out vice, that allows us to then, in turn, love others. It's not... Pr- only about being holy because God is holy. It's because when we are bogged down with vices, we miss opportunities to love others, to do what God has called us to do. And sloth is a perfect example of this. When you are, when you power down or power up with other activities, you miss the opportunities God brings in your life to love others. Virtue is about loving God and loving others as well. So I think Aquinas brings that out. Summarizing Aquinas, on Aquinas' relational um, conception of sloth, slothful people want all the comforts of being in a relationship with the identity, security, love, and happiness that it brings, while ultimately resisting or refusing to let love change them or to make demands of them. They are like a married couple who long for a relationship of unconditional love, but who chafe at the thought of disciplining their own desires or sacrificing themselves in order to maintain that relationship and allow it to flourish. Sloth is primarily about our relationship of love between us and God and a love between us and others. Not just lack of motivation to do work. It is out of this loss of love to let love change you that manifestations such as laziness appear. What are five manifestations of Akadia? So this I'm kind of going back to um, how the monks, how Evagrius thought of Akadia. So the first is a certain instability. A certain instability. You can't depend upon someone like this. Um, and often this instability is caused by certain pretexts. We tell ourselves certain things to convince us not to do what we need to do. Sometimes they're good things. Well, I can't do this because I have to, I have to go visit the sick. That's important, right? That's what Jesus would want us to do. We have to do this holy and righteous thing. But that can be used as a pretext for avoiding your other responsibilities, your primary responsibilities. Fulfilling one's duty to family. 
Here's a family verse for a family, uh, a verse about uh, philosophy of family. When uh, the, the man says, I need to go bury my father, and Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. Like, I'm responsible for taking care of my family, my family duties. And Jesus says, if you don't follow me above all else, he who does not hate his mother and father, who not, does not love me more than mother and father, is nothing to do with me. Even serving God can be used as a pretext to avoid, again, those responsibilities. This, all of these things lead to a certain instability, going here and there, doing this and that. Sloth, akedia, like I said, can demonstrate itself in productivity of a certain kind. Second manifestation, an exaggerated concern for one's health. Now, context is monks in the desert who eat like a slice of bread a day, right? So for them, a concern of one's health is, oh, I need to eat, I need to add a little little spice to this, and you just you know, make it taste a little better. I'll have another slice, another loaf of bread. That's their context. But for our context, I think this is very applicable because there is a cultural, huge cultural, um, I don't want to call it shift because it's been going on for a while, just the concern for one's health. Do I wake up early and go to the gym because my new pants aren't fitting as well as they used to. True story. (laughs) Or do I take that time for morning prayer? Or even doing something for my wife, taking care of my home responsibilities? What is more important, fitting into my pants Or loving God, loving my family. Again, not just laziness. This is activities, but activities that distract. The third, and here we have aversion to manual work. Laziness, if you will. But again, this isn't just lying on the couch, unable to move. We've all been there. This is doing anything to avoid doing what needs to be done. And I think this is a big temptation for us. So, for example, for myself, I always find it's good. I have plenty of bad examples of myself to give instead of trying to think of other people. My primary activity is research. As a doctoral student, this is what I spend all day doing. And then I come home. And, well, I, you know, I have to footnote this. I have to have, like, 20 sources. I need to read this thing and read that thing. And, oh, if I get on Twitter, I, I have all these scholars that I'm connected with, and they post links, and I've, I've found so many 
helpful resources that way, this network of scholars. I need to be, I need to check it constantly. I need to do this and that. And while everything else is falling apart around me. Again, true story. You can ask Jenny about it later. <laughs> right? An aversion to manual work is a manifestation of Akedia. Fourthly, neglect in observing the rule. So for monks, the rule is going to be a little more complicated. For us in the Anglican tradition, the order of morning and evening prayer. So I even... One thing that's helped me is having... um, There's a website called Cradle of Prayer where they actually record the morning and evening services. And so it helps to be able to read alongside, so it's not just myself, right? And I did it for a year pretty well, um, and then stopped doing it, wanted to start back up again, so I just tried to listen to it in my car as I, as I go to school. And I'm always convicted that I'm still trying to just have this checklist where yeah, I did it. I did morning prayer. This is good for me. And I'm not actually observing the rule. I'm driving. How much I can actually get out of that while just last week my car stopped at a stoplight, just (laughs) broke down, as opposed to, say, getting up early before Eleanor wakes up, hopefully before she wakes up, and taking the time to slow down and reorient myself for the day. I'm neglecting and observing the rule. Now, not everyone is in a a tradition that has a morning-evening prayer, but many traditions, people set rules for themselves. These are good things. I want to do this. I want to read through the Bible in a year. Anything like that. They create rules for themselves, but sloth works against that. Sloth works against maintaining that rule that we may set for ourselves. There's a sense of powering down, like I said, where it just, I have no energy to do it. I just can't do it. So going to the gym, I try to work out, and if you've ever like, either lifted weights or gone running so hard that you're just arms, you feel like jello. You feel like you can barely walk back to your car. That sense, think of that feeling of just, it feels oppressive just to do it. These basic things. Sloth is like that. Sloth will make you power down and feel like the simplest activity is too hard to do. But it also can power you up. Like I've tried to talk about earlier, in doing all these different things, instead of doing morning or evening prayer, for example. Fifth, just a general discouragement. And this is where 
some people have seen a connection between Akedia and uh, diagnosis of depression. Um, I don't want to say those concepts are identical, but I think there's definite, definite overlap with them. If you've ever suffered from depression or known someone who has, this just a this sense of discouragement, general meaning everything. Everything is discouraging. Everything is too much. Most basic things are a mountain to climb. You never succeed. You know, I try to do the morning prayer, but I just never do it. I'm never going to be able to do it. It is possible. Evagrius thinks that's a sign of Akedia at work. But there is hope. Come on. Five remedies. So how do you fight back against this? The first, Evagrius thinks, is tears. Now, for me, that's always seemed kind of forced, right? I once heard, I don't know where it is, the cultures where they actually pay people to mourn at other people's funerals. Have you heard of this? Like professional mourners. That's what I always think of. I read monks, and they're like, have all these tears, weep. Okay. I got nothing. I just, I can't do it. But I have experienced many times in which tears are the only only thing that can express the true sorrow that you feel at sin. I can say, I'm sorry, forgive me as much as I want. I have been able to say to God, forgive me, and yet still feel nothing. But tears, when there are tears, when I cry at my sin, it is something more than just words can say. Two, the second remedy against Akedia, prayer and work. Doing the prayer, doing the work. I remember at our old church in Michigan, um, uh, our pastor telling us a story about someone who, um, I don't know if it was depression, but there was just a sense of, I can't do anything. And so he said, all right, we're going to have lunch at your house, right? When you can't feel like when you feel like you can't do anything, dishes start piling up, clothes get don't get folded. And he said, "I'm going to come to your house." Like, uh, no, no, I can't. But yeah, I'm coming to your house. And it was that sense of I need to prepare for this person that actually helped this individual actually work to do the work to do the basic 
things of everyday life. Um, so continuing in prayer and work works against Akedia. Uh, thirdly, the enteretic method or contradiction. This is basically the monks saw Jesus doing when he's tempted by the devil. The devil quotes scripture. What does Jesus do? Quote scripture back. Contradicts the scripture. So this is where things like reading scripture, memorizing scripture come in handy. When you tell yourself, or for Evagrius, when a demon is telling you certain things, even quoting scripture at you, knowing scripture, you can repeat back over against those thoughts that are coming at you. Right? So contradiction. Contradicting those thoughts with (laughs) scripture. Fourth, this is the fun one. Meditation on death. Stanley Howarus once said something like, uh, we think we're going to get out of life alive. Most of our life is preparing to die. But we treat everyday life as avoiding that impending death. That unless God comes back, we will all go through Reminding yourselves of that, that you have precious little time on this earth, is a way of motivating you to not waste your time with distractions, with just sitting around, remembering that death comes for us all. It's not necessarily a pleasant Thing maybe to think about, but I think it's a necessary thing to keep life in perspective. In five, what really sums up most of these is perseverance. And that's difficult to say when you feel like you can't do it, but do it. Just do it, right? Do the work. Do what is before you. It may not be exciting. It probably is not exciting. Your everyday work that you need to do. Your daily prayer. Because we've all had those moments, right, where I I grew up going to a Christian camp, and you come back home, and you're like, Jesus, yeah, let's go. I can do it. I'm going to preach to all my neighbors. I'm going to sing hymns outside for all to hear. True story. (laughs) And that lasts about a week. Right? Spiritual high, we always called it. And it... We have this up and down and up and down and up and down of how we feel about what we need to do. And Evagrius says, continue to do it. Continue to do it. Continue to pray. Continue to, for the monks, weave baskets. It's a story about a, a monk who would weave baskets, weave, and then when he could no longer do it, like 
he had no more no place to put them. He burned them all down, and then keep going at it. Go back to it. Keep doing it. He was in the desert. They tried to sell baskets, but you know when you're in the desert, no one's around, and you can't really sell. So, <laughs> there's a, one of my favorite stories is uh, a monk came to an abba and said, you know, I want to learn from you. You know, take me on as your apprentice, kind of thing. And the, and the Abba said, thinking to himself, I don't think this guy's serious, right? Because monks are kind of rock stars. We don't think about that. Monks were rock stars in the ancient world. So he says, all right, you want to be my apprentice? Go in the desert, put a stick in the ground, and water it until it blossoms. So the guy did. Every day went out and watered a stick. The demonstrated perseverance that he was serious about this, despite not having results, and it showed the Abba that this wasn't just a fad. This guy was serious, and he took him on as an apprentice. All right, I'm going to need to close up. So... How many have seen the movie Groundhog's Day? Right? Groundhog's Day, I want to go watch it now. because I'm taking this from one of the books that I had. But it's actually a really good example of sloth or acadia. Right? So for those who haven't seen it, the premise is this reporter gets stuck in a loop and has to relive the same day again and again and again. And at first you see him kind of just go through this despair. There's a scene where you see him fill up a bathtub and he goes downstairs at this hotel, grabs a toaster, and the hotel worker is like, do you you want some toast? And he just walks. And then you see the lights flicker. Like, he's just had enough. He can't take it. Living the same day, again and again and again, he can't take it. There's a woman that he wants to sleep with So he starts learning everything about her to become the man that she wants without really changing who he was. And she sees through it. But by the end of the movie, this is the summary, by the end of the film, Phil has overcome sloth by accepting the demands of love. What marks his lustful attempts at seduction earlier in the film is his substitution of self-centered self-gratification for the gift of himself in love. By the end of the film, when he has won Rita's love, Phil has not only discovered, but has also accepted the fact that real love costs us and transforms us. The real work sloth resists, therefore, is not merely physical effort, but a change of heart. The kind of change from the old self to the new that love demands of us and the kind of change that makes us capable of genuine love for others in return. Perfectly. <laughs> <laughs>